Der Fußball ist zurück in der zweiten Liga. Bravo, macht Tempo, wartet auf Harte. Herzlang gekommen und jetzt ist es Klos. Also, Arminia Bielefeld. Penny, 2-0. 2-0 für den FC St. Pauli. Diese Flanke, Tor, nächster Treffer. Es heuer, Fernandes mit vorne. Ja klar ist er mit vorne. Kittel mit der Ecke, Pujabalata. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Spider Bundesliga podcast, the home for your weekly fix of Spider Bundesliga action. I'm your host, Matthew Karagic, and today we are going to be discussing all the action from a brilliant match day 11. As always, teaming up with me, my partner in crime, to discuss all the action from match day 11 is the one and only Eva Lotte Baller. Eva, good morning. How are you today? I hate football. It's <laughs> very well. No, uh, just kidding. Um, not entirely. Um, <laughs> I'm okay. Um, it doesn't help that because of me, we had to switch from Wednesday to Tuesday because now my week planning is completely down the hill. Uh, but that's okay. <laughs> um, it means we have um, the opportunity to later look at a bit of the DFB car fixtures. Um, so stay tuned for that. Uh, but before we get into everything that is not um, only Zweite Bundesliga, um, we should talk about everything that happened on the weekend. Absolutely. It was a very action-packed weekend of football. And we are going to start with the Friday night game between Etsy Paderborn and Hamburger SV. A massive game for both teams course Hamburg looking to improve their record Paderborn hoping to stay inside the top three got off to the perfect start for the visitors Moritz Heyer who is not um he's certainly someone who can score from range he did so on this occasion beautiful finish against uh, Yannick Hoot it's his fifth goal of the season and he scored that on five minutes Paderborn had some decent phases after that and they managed to equalise when Sven Mikkel found Felix Platter, also for his fifth goal of the campaign just before half-time. Hamburg certainly had the better of it as the game progressed, and, they, and when the game required a hero, they were able to find one. When Manchester City lone E and Englishman Tommy Doyle got his first goal in Hamburg colours to see the visitors take all three points at the death one thing that was pretty noticeable about this game is we talk about the Tim Walter system, a team that requires high press, high possession, and high volume of shots. They managed that in this game. Yeah, especially in the first half, uh, they were very lively. I really liked um, Ali Du, who made his debut for for foul. Um I liked that he. There were a lot of scenes where he just uh, took the shot, didn't think about it too much, um, because. Not saying that HSV is not good in creating combinations. Like it's basically what led to the two-one. Um, Vinzheimer with the really good pre-assist, you could say. Um, Ken Zombie then, yeah, beautifully back to Doyle. But also sometimes if you're in a state of mind where where HSV was, um, it it does help from time to time if you're just taking the shot and actually. Um, before Haya could score, um, Ali Du took the shot and um, he his shot hit the post and then that ball that came back um, was coming to Haya and he could score there. Um, in general, um, 
I, I, I think there's something we've seen before that the dominance has felt brings on the pitch is not always being seen in the score sheet. And I think you could say, especially in the first half, uh, this is what happened again. Um, the Parabon goal came more or less out of nowhere. Um, and, well, I mean, um, after in, in the second half, Parabon really deserved that, that point. But, um, and I mean, they could have nearly made it 2-1 with that Hunemeyer shot um, from a distance. Mm where um, I think Jaya Fernandez is um, yeah, actually the one that that is, is the last man standing in that, that situation. Also, if we speak about Jaya Fernandez, I think um, the reason why there were only three goals in this game is because both goalkeepers uh, were actually quite good in goal. Um, both Hoot and Jaya Fernandez had a good game. And I mean, if you have nine shots on target each um actually Hamburg had 23 shots on goal um you can it's not only because maybe there is efficiency being missed or um just yeah accuracy but also because there's a very good goalkeeper um in in Yannick Hood in Paderborn um yeah I think for for Paderborn it's just a bit unlucky but you can also say maybe um it was just to less especially at home um, has well not not really like in in possession or anything like that, but just from the way Hasfell acted on the pitch, they were the more dominant team. Um, and I think that Parabon needs to improve that, especially at home, because they have been missing that for the last couple of matches. Yeah, they have a wretched home record, Paderborn, and you know, as do Hamburg for that matter. Quite similar in their characteristics, both teams very strong away from home. B.S. Paderborn, five of their 18 points have come at home this season. That is 13th best in the league. They struggle to score goals. They struggle. They're not bad defensively at home, but it is not really a cauldron um, for them. Hamburg, equally good away from home. 11 points of their 18 have come away from the Volkspark Stadion this season. And yeah. I think the the interesting thing when we talk about Hamburg, it is all it is very much a quantity thing. If you're going for them to succeed, it's going to be really about high volume pressing, high volume possession, high volume shot creation. That's how they. That's really their recipe. Yes, they are at times rather wasteful in front of goal. In this case, you'd argue they they ran into a very good goalkeeper, a keeper who's been in great form this season, as Eva mentioned. But yes. Tommy Doyle, the hero. That is one way to endear yourself to your lone club. Let's move on to our next game. And you'll notice a pattern as the podcast goes on because the next five games feature the number four. All five games had four goals scored in them. And in the first edition, St. Pauli, Hansa, Rostock, all four goals went to the hosts. And the scoring started on 12 minutes when the Australian Jackson Irvine got his account unopened with the goal, his first of the season, of course. And then six minutes later, the guy who has really been one of the best players in the Spider Bundesliga this season, Daniel Kofi Kido, he got his third goal of the campaign. Guido Borgstaller added the third goal. Of it's his 10th of the season on 61 minutes. He had a goal taken away 10 minutes earlier for offside. 
He was subbed out of the game on 76 minutes, and then two minutes later, his replacement, Simon Marquinhos, got his third of the campaign, and a four-star performance for St. Pauli keeps them three points ahead of the chasing pack. This was not a contest. It was as one-sided as it gets, and St. Pauli continue their their dominance over the league so far. Yeah, and I mean, you, you have to say that... Rostock didn't start off that bad to the game, um, but you could already see very early um, that as soon as São Paulo was kind of executing their attacks, uh, that they had a lot of problems, and basically Rostock's attacking was dead after the 1-0, which was actually perfectly executed by São Paulo. Um, you already spoke about Kiri. We haven't seen him as much as a goal scorer this season, but more as yeah, the the most creative part of uh, St. Pauli's offensive once again here as well, um, with a perfect time cross to to Tsanda, Tsanda over to Irvine, and um, I think it, that we have four different goal scorers for this game showcases a lot what uh, St. Pauli does well this season. They don't only have one player that can rely on obviously Bookshell as you've mentioned has 10 goals but um, just the yeah, variety of, of people that can score goals in this team is actually quite good um, I also really like I think I know I, I said this before but um, I, I really really like how um, Lea Pacarada developed throughout the month and years he's ha- he has been at St. Pauli. His crosses are near perfection. Um, and as well, as you, you, can, you can really see the difference when um, Ditkin plays together with Kiri. Um, I mean, we spoke about that in game against Heidenheim, where Ditkin came in for the second half, and it really changes uh, the St. Pauli game a lot. And... Um, it, it has been very impressive, especially what they have done at home. I mean, 18 points, they won all six games, 19 to three goals. I think the last goal they conceded was against Ingolstadt in September, and they still won that game for one. So, um, yeah, very impressive, as mentioned. Um, it always helps to to have, uh, yeah, have a strong... If, if you have one place where you're very good at, St. Pauli definitely is very good at home. Um, and for Marquinhos, you could really see how much it meant for the team as well that he scored this goal like after mm. 20 seconds being on the pitch. And I think he, if you look at that scene, it's also very worrying what Rostock does because Marquinhos stands on this like on the same place and, and he can just touch the ball four times until it ends up in the goal. So... Um, yeah, very impressive and for Rostock I think uh, yeah it's it, it, it is a b- bit worrying if you look that after the, the first goal their game was just dead basically yeah I mean you always look for what the response will be after the concession so you go two goals down within the opening 20 minutes and they just offered next to nothing it was really just dominance from from St. Pauli and you know that I think we we talk about the front three especially Borgstaller, Ditkin, Kire, the synergy that they play with play with great energy and you know they're able to feed off each other and and create a ton of chances but that midfield three as well with Hartle, uh, Arimu and Irvine 
is becoming very settled and, and that's probably not something you would have thought at the start of the season. You would have probably seen a lot more of Finoli Becker, for example, who was an unused substitute in this game. Uh, we've seen bits of Bookman, same with Benatelli, very much in situations that you'll see Timo Schultz use Benatelli. But that team looks pretty set. Tactically, they're very strong and they're also getting players back. We saw Etienne Aminido, although for just a single minute, he he made his St. Pauli debut. So they're starting to... The depth is there, the quality is there, and the results, especially at home, are there as well. Let's make a move to our final Group 1 game, Sanhausen and Werder Bremen. Now, this is not the most typical game you would expect to find in Group 1, but there is a good reason for that, and we'll get to it in a moment. Both teams needed a win. Bremen hadn't scored for a significant period of time. Desperate for a win, Sennhausen. It was a good opportunity to really, you know, unleash the Kraken, as they say, in Seattle. However, they went a goal behind really early. 12 minutes in, Nikolai Rapp scored a, a very cool goal after a brilliant ball in out wide. Then Bremen completely lost their heads. A really... Nonchalant back pass, uh, and Pascal Testerot was fouled by goalkeeper Mikhail Zetera. Testerot would score and make it 1-1. Both teams traded opportunities, but both were extraordinarily inefficient um, in the final third. And then six minutes before the end of regular time, a pinpoint cross from Dennis Diekmeyer finds Pascal Testerot again. It's his second of the game, his third of the season, and it looks like Sandhausen were about to win. And just as it looked like that the host would take victory, Niklas Fulkrug, who's been through an incredibly trying week, there was the uh, altercation with Clemens Fritz. He comes off the bench. He scores his first goal of the campaign. You definitely wouldn't have thought it would take him this long to get on the score sheet. 2-2 the final score. Either this game had pretty much everything in terms of wasteful opportunities, lots of high, you know, lots of attacking football. Um, it would be fair to say both teams would have an argument that they could be disappointed for not winning this game. Yeah, and I mean, as you've mentioned, it was a really good game to watch. Something you would not or might not have expected before that. Um, shout out to uh, the guys at Hartwald ha- um, Hörfunk, uh, Louis and Jakob. Um, they joined forces with um, ex-Sky commentator Tom Bayer on the weekend um, commentating this game. It was really, really fun. Um yeah, but I think and they all watched, um, I think the sold-out Sandhausen mm-hmm. Arena as well as um, everyone in front of the TVs actually watched a quite good game. Although um, you have to say, especially after Sandhausen leveled in the second half, uh, in the first half, sorry, um, Bremen was way too passive. Um, you could maybe say that in in the first half, Sandhausen could have won that game. In the second half, Bremen got better, especially after Niklas Füllkrug was subbed in. Mm-hmm. Um, because, yeah, after that, um, Füllkrug was nearly involved in, in, in every scene that ended up in front of the Sandhausen um, goal. We do have to talk about, I think, Lars Lucas May. Um, last week it was um, Nikola Rapp who, who made that pass mm. back to Cetera in against um, 
who was it Darmstadt um, this week it, it, it was last Lucas May and when it led to the penalty I think um, Idini was fouled later on and um, mm. throughout that game he didn't look really stable there have been discussions by Bremen fans why he's still being played from the first beginning first minute on and I think it's a bit understandable they they don't seem to have the most solid um, central defenders at the moment. Um, and I think that doesn't really help. <laughs> um, in general, yeah, well, I, I think the way Vera pushed back in the end, uh, it was really needed, especially for, for Niklas Fulkuk. And I mean, um, what I didn't like from the beginning on about this whole discussion is that because I think Anfang... Um, said about Fulkuk that that if he subs on a second striker, uh, then you should see that on the pitch. And I think that's just too short in explaining what is happening at Bremen at the moment. Because if you say, yeah, you need a second striker to actually ha- make an impact on the game, uh, you have to talk about the first strikers already on the pitch. And once again, um, Mavi Dux had like four shots on goal. Um Fukov had as well, but only after he was subbed in, um, and he may he did make an impact about Duksh. Um, I don't know about you, but I thought he wasn't really visible throughout the game. Um, there were other players that were much more um, well seen. Um, one player I really want to point out because he was subbed in as well was uh, Schönfelder. Um, he looked like someone with potential for the future. I think he also gave the assist for for Fulkuk. Mm. And um, yeah, in the end, I think uh, Zenthausen can probably live with that point a bit better than, than Bremen does, although they conceded last minute. Um, but I think um, maybe they wouldn't really have expected that they could win this game before. Yeah, they were definitely the underdogs throughout this game, and it was kind of fascinating to see how the game con- continued to progress but um yeah i, I mean the, the, it depends on really how how you look at it from from either side and i think sanhausen dug in sure defensively they were a bit suspect as they have been all season but they were able to create some pretty good opportunities although at times quite wasteful much like Werder bremen they they really they, it it is really fascinating because in that in those situations where you know you have to defend for your life and and we saw it with Hanover a few weeks ago you know if you don't defend tight and and you can't and you and you don't really account for a player you get sorted out and there will be a game we'll talk about where where I'm going to pinpoint some of that defending where players don't uphold their responsibilities and it costs their team and and in this situation it did for, for Zanhausen Bremen have been uh not great over the past few weeks and and teams have been able to to, to really slice through them so yeah an important point for Bremen but they are still really I know they're a really young team and still figuring out the pieces but they are very much uh, not sitting in a position where they would have expected at the start of the season. Let's take our first break, and on the other side, we are going to head to our Group 2 game, starting in Dusseldorf, when Fortuna took on Karlsruhe. 
Dusseldorf were hoping to get back to winning ways when they hosted Karlsruhe on match day 11. Karlsruhe had just come off a home win and were hoping to make it back to back. It didn't start particularly well for the visitors when they conceded an own goal on nine minutes through Philip Hazer. Poor positioning on his part, and he got he got himself in a bit of a muddle, being at the wrong place at the wrong time. However, he would make up for that mistake, assisting the equaliser on 22 minutes through Marvin Vanitsek, becoming a theme of his goals coming from long range. It definitely felt as if Dusseldorf were taking the ascendancy and on 51 minutes some slapstick football was rewarded when Christoph Clara got his first goal of the season. He The ball ping-ponging around, a couple of uh, attempts off the post and eventually he put it in. And then Khalid Narai got his third goal of the season 11 minutes later and the game was all signed, sealed and delivered. It's a massive win for Dusseldorf. We know they've been under a bit of pressure, a little bit of criticism, not as much as other teams in the league. But as a team with some expectation, an important win against a pretty quali- pretty high-quality side. Yeah, and I mean, I, I had the weird feeling that very early from the beginning on, who didn't really seem up for the challenge. Um, I mean, they showed a good reaction to the goal. Um, I think um, Hoffman even had the chance to to put Karlsruhe in lead as well. Um, but especially in the second half, um, I was very disappointed by Karlsruhe's um, you know, just performance in general. And I mean, their defending wasn't good at all, especially the 2-1 for Dusseldorf. Uh, there are, I think, four shots on target, not even on goal, but on target in one scene. Um, I think um, Hardhats, Peters on as well um, and then I think even another player before before Clara can take the shot I think Nali had a chance as well uh, in that situation um, but yeah it, it, it is a bit surprising that Peterson isn't um, actually on the score sheet because he was one of Fortuna Dusseldorf's best players in this game in my opinion especially Nala and Peterson were, were really really good Um and yeah, in the end, I think it was a very good second half by Fortuna Düsseldorf. The way they came, um, yeah, out after after half time was very impressive. Uh, they didn't leave Karlsruhe any kind of chances to yeah to come back into this game, and um, I think that's why they they deserved to win this game um, from especially in the second half. Yeah. yeah. Without question. The one thing that really stood out to me is that front three. You mentioned Patterson, who seemingly, whether he starts or he comes off the bench, always has some sort of meaningful impact and contribution. And he certainly is one of Dusseldorf's better players. And I really like that they had that they played that forward three with, with Patterson, Narai, and then Hennings up top. It has a really good dynamic and... In this game in particular, where, where both wingers were able to carve up the two fullbacks who were playing quite a high line, what we did see is that you know Dusseldorf were able to, to take advantage of those spaces and you look at a couple of the goals they scored, or they benefited from the, the, the lack there of man-marking from Philip Hazer, not singling him, not trying to deliberately single him out, but if you look at the goal, the two of the three goals they conceded, you know he's, he's positioning and, and allowing his opponent to be goal side were very much the catalyst for why they conceded. So they did a lot of things right. 
as you mentioned, Karlsruhe really didn't show up to this game at all. You know, really lacked that that a defensive intensity and and yeah, just the lack of shape in transition. They got caught out quite a lot when Fortuna were able to attack and. Yeah, I mean, they also missed the goalkeeping of Marius, Marius Gersbeck. You know, Kusta was okay. Um, but, yeah, I think I think there's there's a bit of a gap between Kusta and, and Gersbeck, so they will definitely look forward to having him back between the pipes. Let's move on to the Max Morlock Stadion. Nuremberg took on Heidenheim. Nuremberg still unbeaten in the Spider Bundesliga. Heidenheim looking to break a two-game losing streak. It took a while for this game to really start to build, but just on the stroke of halftime, the stands of this podcast especially were quite pleased to see Mats Molodaly open his account, uh, his first goal of the season. And then Nuremberg really, you know, started to cook with gas in what was a pretty dominant display in the end. Eric Shurinov got the second goal on 52 minutes, his third of the season. And then Johannes Geis with a beautiful free kick. A exquisitely taken set piece. His first goal of the season. Not much Kevin Muller can do. And just to compound things worse for Heidenheim, an own goal from substitute Michael Bel- Michael Malone really stamped what was a frustrating game for Frank Schmidt's side. Yeah, but also in the other other hand, uh, a very dominant display by uh, Robert Klaus's team, um, especially in the second half. I mean, you've mentioned um, the first half was, was uh, rather dull until that Mats Daily goal. Um, I actually had the first chance of this game, but, well, I mean, it was one of the, in, in total, two shots on target they had throughout those 90 minutes. And um, yeah, Nürnberg was very, very efficient as well. But actually, those, especially those first three goals, they're all just outstanding by themselves. You normally have like one of these goals. You're happy if you have one of these in your game, and they actually had all three. And um, yeah, it's it was very very good. Um, I I have to say, I really like the way that um, that football that Klaus wants to play is more and more showing um in Nuremberg. I mean they they um yeah they haven't had the maybe the the dominant start to the season they wanted even though they haven't lost the game yet um but I think you can really see that with the results comes uh the self-confidence that they can trust in the football they're playing and this is what you see at the moment um for Heidenheim it's been a weird season I still don't know where to put them actually um some they they have very good games then they have games like this or the game against St. Pauli um, where you can clearly see that they don't really have an answer to what their opponents offer on the pitch um, I mean Clydeans was probably Heidenheim's best player in this game um, who was also very good I mean he didn't have that many um, opportunities to, to showcase it but once again Martina was good in goal those two times he was tested um, he stood there very well. He he did his job very well, and I think um, that whole p- package Nuremberg has to offer this season is very very good. Yeah, a hundred percent agree with that, and uh, I really like their their midfield combinations with with Geis and, and Lino Templeman, who 
you know, you sit the score sheet, but he plays with such great energy and, and you team that up with, with Tom Krause and it's a really enjoyable midfield three playing in that six to eight role. I think the one thing I enjoy a lot with the way they play and they did it well in this game in particular was very efficient in front of goal, you know, four four goals from 10 shots, I guess, you know, the own goal counts as a shot as well. So very, very good in front of goal. And I love when they always pan to Robert Klaus after they score a goal, you can see that there's a, there's a joy. Um, he's not running around and it's all the raw emotion. It's more or less, he's like, you know, that, that kind of, Happy for his 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 players for the players to to get on the score sheet and they play good football and yeah another good result for the club very much still in the mix they are in that top four and they are only a point away from automatic promotion at this early stage the team that is currently sitting second is Jan Regensburg and after being a patchy run of form but they weren't losing games they got back to winning ways. 3-1 the final score against Hanover 96. This game was interesting, let's just say the least. But one team very much took their chances and the other did not. Sapreet Singh, who has been a bit quiet recently, he got on the score sheet, got number three of the season. And then on 22 minutes, an absolute calamity defensively. It's Hanover failing to clear their lines or just clear the ball outside the penalty box. It kind of stayed in the midst. Martin Hansen kind of doesn't clear it, doesn't really do anything. And then Carlo Buchhalfer taps in what is virtually an open goal. Uh, they wanted a foul. They weren't going to get it. Hanover would get an, uh, a goal back in the second half on 54 minutes. Sebastian Kirk scored a free kick, which deceived everyone, including Alexander Meyer. And it seemed maybe game one for Hanover. As they pushed forward, they conceded the third and final goal. Joel Schwartz, who muscled Niklas Hult out of the way, and he coolly finished past Hansen. Game, set, and match. And one thing that really stood out in this game was the wingers. We've, you know, they've been a bit quiet, but certainly the wing play was a massive factor for Regensburg winning this game. Yeah, and especially in the first half. And I mean, uh, it's kind of funny because we just talked about it this uh, last week where we weren't sure uh, Ringsburg can keep up um, to that, uh, to what they've done at the beginning of the season and that we were kind of were missing what they've done so well at the beginning of the season. Um, and I mean, maybe they'll listen to the, this podcast and uh, what it wanted to show us that they can still do it. Um, yeah, it was very impressive, especially in the first half, but it, like we really have to talk about Hanover. Um, I'm, I'm quite sure it, it, if it wouldn't be Jan Zimmermann um, in charge, um, they would definitely already talk about a change in manager position at this stage. I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm all in for giving coaches, especially coaches that don't come like from from a second uh, league club or even a Bundesliga club as a coach. But yeah, I have the feeling that you don't have eleven players on the pitch that work together, but eleven individuals um, that all want to do their thing. Um, what I was wondering as well is why Kerk was on the bench because you could clearly see he was Hanover's best player, especially in the second half when he came on. Um, 
And if you have someone with that quality sitting on the bench against the Jan Regensburg, I'm not really sure what your plan was from the beginning on. Um, and because that creativity was just missing throughout the game, um, especially in the first half. And I think in the end, it wouldn't really have been deserved if Hanover would have got points out of this because um, they lost this game in the first half um, and in the end weren't like the chances they created um, weren't to to such accuracy that you could have really said um, they weren't that close. I think Hinterseer missed a chance or two as well, but yeah, in the end, um, deserved win for Regensburg, especially because um, early on in the first half, they were very efficient, really tore Hanover apart and... As, as mentioned for Hanover, I think they play our next at home. Mm-hmm. And um, if you just look at what Hanover fans have been posting all over Twitter, um, they've posted the stadium outline and how many tickets were sold. It doesn't look good for Hanover. And, um, well, you can say it's understandable. Uh, first of all, that game doesn't really scream um, attraction. Second of all, they haven't been really nice to their home fans in the last couple of weeks. No, it is a club that is very much dysfunctional. There's no real unity between the club itself and its fans. And and then the on-field product is just mediocre. But I think the one thing that is might be the saving grace for Jan Zimmerman is that it's not really his team. They've made a couple of signings and it's still largely the same squad of that was incoherently performing the last, you know, the last couple of seasons. And, you know, remember at the, at, you know, at, in our season review, um, it was mentioned that they didn't have high expectations and they expected to be in the bottom six. And, and so far it's proving to be correct. There's a lot of issues there and they just can't figure it out. All for Jan Zimmerman giving getting a fair shake of the sauce bottle. You know, a lot of people were calling for him to loot. He was he wasn't right for the job, but you know we're eleven games in, and and for a, a manager with that squad and and you know that kind of background distractions, it's it's quite evident that it is very difficult to manage. So yeah, we'll see what happens with Hanover. But yeah, as you said, Eva, a massive game against the team that as we'll talk about. Um, very shortly, got on the board for the first time this season. Let's take our final break. And on the other side, we'll we'll discuss the remaining three games of Match Day 11 and have a little preview of the DFB Paul Carl. Schalke were hoping to make it four wins on the bounce when they welcomed Dinamo Dresden to the Felsens Arena on Saturday night. Two teams that are on very much different paths. Dresden had won only once in their previous five. Schalke looking to continue their good form. And they would start in good vein. A fortuitous goal it may be, but when it's your first for the club, you'll take it any which way it comes. That goes for Thomas Ovojan, who will be featured quite regularly in this segment because he was outstanding. His quick thinking to try and intercept the pass from Finn Becker's clearance uh, hit the studs of Ovaljan, cannoning into the post and in for a goal. 
front of the Nord Curva, who were in fine form. Dresden did have phases where they were, were pressing the issue, but they were unable to break down the resilience defence of Schalke. And on 78 minutes, Marius Bulter scoring a Thomas Ovojan cross from the set piece to make it 2-0. Deja vu also uh, for Marcin Kaminski. He would score in added time of the 90 minutes and he was assisted by Thomas Ovojan, who was just sensational in this game. A goal and two assists. That's three points if you know your ice hockey, which is such a great sport. Um, Eva, it's there's a lot to like with what Schalke are doing. Again, the XG might not talk about it. They didn't dominate possession, but three goals is three goals, and they continue their march into that top three. Yeah, I think it was for Schalke was uh, definitely important as well because uh, the the ultra scene returned uh, to Gelsenkirchen for this game, and you could see uh, I think especially I think Martin Freisel uh, in a post match interview. Uh, said that um, yeah, it was just wonderful to see them back, um, or just in general to see uh, the ultra scene returning. Um, yeah, I think um, the the first twenty minutes was a bit boring. I think for for, for both teams, it was more like looking what the opponent can do. Um, but after those twenty minutes, Schalke. Um, yeah, took over, showed their dominance, and um, yeah, for for Dresden they they weren't that bad. But I think especially like for the last parts, um, accuracy was missing, and um, yeah, in in the end, Schalke was efficient as well. I think I, I saw from a couple of fans that they were quite happy that. Um, yeah, actually, um, first of all, Vijan got his first goal, but also that just the um, when we spoke about the variety of Zhang Pauli's goal scorers, you can talk about the same for Schalke. Um, what he, we have been saying, that the story was always just Simon Terodde. It's good to see um, the other players stepping up as well, and uh, you could see this in this game. And um, yeah, you can also see just from how they win their games now. It's definitely a step up to a couple of weeks before. Uh, for Dresden, it's uh, their fifth defeat in, in six games. Um, I think, the, yeah, their advantage at the moment um, is, is definitely that they had, had had a good start into the season so far otherwise. But, um, yeah, I think the problem is, and I think that's similar to, to Rostock, for example, um, they don't play that bad. They, they're they not an opponent who's um, yeah, just standing in their own half for 90 minutes, but they want to play football. Uh, but just with the uh, individual class that, that clubs like Schalke, but also like St. Pauli bring on the pitch, uh, it's very, very difficult for them yeah, to, to win this. Agreed. And they don't have those same kind of moments which the other teams have where they, they, when a game is kind of evenly balanced, they find an opportunistic situation which can lead to a goal. And in this game especially, the thing that stands out with the two of the three goals they concede is they came from set pieces. That's problematic. And they're not. it's not as if they're a, a league leader in conceding from, from set pieces, but... Both goals were very avoidable, and and the ball to goal, no one picks him up at the front post, and 
that's a misassignment and in Kaminsky's was much the same where he's not held accountable in that set play and, and they concede. So you could see Alexander Schmidt, especially when the third goal goes in, the visible frustration of that was another defensive breakdown. They really are missing Tim Knipping, who's still injured. It's evident that his absence through this stretch is, has been very telling for them. They really desperately need him back. Schalke, good rise. Can they continue this? Um, a lot of things to like with their performance. And as Eva said, you know that spread is, is, is an important thing for them. It's great having Simon Toronto in your lineup. Unquestionably, if you're a Spider Bundesliga team. But it can't just be him scoring all the goals. You need that variety. You need other players chipping in. Um, and they're starting to slowly see that bear fruit with the likes of Bulter and, and even getting goals from Kaminsky. You'd like to see Zalazar and Drexler in that mix as well. Pieringer maybe a bit more impactful when he gets the opportunity. But the signs are slowly turning around in Schalke's favour. Let's move on. Holstein Kiel, Darmstadt. Marcel Rapp's first game in charge at home, I should say. Of course, he took... Uh, a 1-1 draw previously at Ingolstadt. It was another 1-1 draw, this time to Darmstadt. They opened the scoring Kiel on 37 minutes through a penalty from Alexander Mühling, but then gave that goal swiftly back four minutes later when Philipp Tietz found Luca Pfeiffer for his eighth of the campaign. Both teams traded chances. You would argue that maybe Kiel had the better of those, but 1-1 it stayed. Either an important result for Kiel, I guess, against a team that we know can be very, very dangerous, aside in Darmstadt, who have had um, real enjoyment picking apart teams that are in far worse form than than they are, and uh, they they need it's it's it almost felt like this was a result they needed to show that showcase a bit of resilience against a team that we know ha- has an, an outstanding attacking force. Yeah, and I think it's a good result, and. Um... I think a lot of attacks by Kiel looked um, really, really good, uh, showed good potential. And I mean, it will take a while until um, we can really see what uh, Masarab can do with the team. Um, but yeah, a lot of what they showed, I think um, last week they played with three in the back. Now it was four, if I'm correct. Um, so he already shows what formation-wise um, that he does not want to stick to one particular formation sometimes that can help sometimes it can irritate players but so far it worked for them um yeah and i mean we both talked about um dina who kind of took over yanis gear's spot um in goalkeeping and in this game he definitely showed why A really really strong performance by him um and yeah, I think in the end, um, also Shun showed showed some great goalkeeping as well. In general, good goalkeeping um, in a couple of games so far this match day. Um, and yeah, I think Kiel's defending was quite quite good, especially if you compare it to the beginning of the season, uh, where in three games they conceded nine goals. And um, yeah, Matarab, yeah, so far did a good job and securing that defending problem or maybe tackling this defending problem um i think yeah it it was a good draw in the end i mean the second half um 
was maybe not that interesting just from shots on target wise but in the end as mentioned okay that went into a draw yeah and it's a result that they will take with with good promise that that the the opening two games under master wrap have ended with a point piece maybe could have got a bit more out of this game i don't think darmstadt were as threatening as they had been in previous encounters um really like the defensive shape as you mentioned they did play back four um with Kirkuskov, Teska, Val and, and Neumann with with uh, Vandenberg coming on um mid- early on in the second half and there are certainly good takeaways they've got the DFB Pokal game which we're going to talk about in a moment this the slowly building and we know that with Kiel it is going to take time but there is a lot of optimism. They had a lot more possession than they've they've done for most of the season, and certainly, you know, I think one that we'll keenly watch with interest is the development under Marcel Rapp. Let's go to our final game of match day eleven. It was Erzgebirge Aue and Ingolstadt, the two teams at the bottom of the table. Who would get the result? It would be Erzgebirge Aue. Omar. Sijaric got the one and only goal on 62 minutes to get our and Mark Hensel an important result. It means they move ahead of Ingolstadt into 17th place. There's quite a lot we can talk about probably from this game as well as outside, but we'll talk about the big incident in this game, which saw Clemens Fandrick sent off after he spat at the assistant referee, um, Eva, this kind of action has absolutely no place in this game. We're also still in the middle of a pandemic. Let's not forget that. But uh, it's such a disgraceful display in in every sense of the word. It's actually infuriating that a player in this day and age still can't distinguish between the the difference between right and wrong. Um, and when you have we we have officials in games so that the game can be played, um, and it's just. It's just disgusting that we have to even talk about such a such a situation, and hopefully he will get suspended for a significant period of time. Yeah, and I mean, um, we actually had a similar scene not towards an um, a referee, assistant referee, but against an opponent um, player with Marcus Thuram last season. Mm-hmm. I think it was uh, banned for I don't know four games, six games, something like that, and. Um, just like a lot of people, like you said as well, we also have a pandemic, but just in general, you don't spit at people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> like this is basic human behavior. You don't like, you don't do that. And um, especially with someone as yeah experienced as Clemens Fandrich, um, I was kind of shocked. You couldn't really see it while watching the game. I know the commentators were a bit irritated. You could only guess what happened because looking at the assistant referee's face. Um, but yeah, and it kind of... I don't know how, how to put this. First of all, with situations like this or with actions like this, you put your team in, in, in a stupid position, first of all. Well, that and then we kind of this is what we talk about now instead of um, yeah that hour has shown good games under Mark Hensel that they deservedly got this win um, and it, yeah it's just 
also not fair to the rest of his teammates, but mm. also it's just it doesn't belong in football. It's just not how you, either if it's an opponent or a referee, an official anyway, um, this is not how you handle if you're angry. And even then, like, why was he angry? His team was winning. It Mm. didn't really make sense at this stage. And um, yeah, it was completely understandable that he was sent off. Um, Yeah, if we come to football, um, I think it was really deserved that Omar Siaric got that goal because Mm. uh, when he came on, um, really like what he did. Um, not only the goal he scored, but in an earlier scene, um, yeah, he showed good timing and passing as well. And yep, that's um, that was quite good. Um, English that but was really really disappointing. Um, I'm still not sure whether one to go. I think they had one last chance by Kuchka, but in the end. Um, only one shot on target, and in in a game where you say Erzgebirgau is at the moment one of the the teams they need to win against um, because they're with them in those bottom half of the table in the bottom four five, and um, yeah they didn't even put up a real fight, and that's disappointing. And it, as mentioned before, if you compare it to what uh, Dresden and Rostock, they might not get the results they want as well, but at least, um, yeah, they come to play football, and I don't really see that at English at the moment. Yeah, I get. I think this is another case when you when you change managers, you need to give them that sort of kind of grace period. But it does feel may, maybe I'm I might be reading this wrong, but this does have the inklings of their previous campaign in the Spider Bundesliga where they had quite a lot of change throughout the season. They went through a, a number of different managers, including Alexander Nuri, Jens Keller, uh, and they ended up with Tomas Oral. So, I mean, I think Schubert will get, be given a little bit of time, but if the improvement's not there, I guess the, it's not a matter of if, but it might be a case of when will we see Tomas Oral um, back in the dugout for Ingolstadt because it seems he's their kind of go-to guy in that situation. Um yeah, important win for our. Um, it wasn't the only news that happened. They also were getting ready to announce that uh, Pavel Dorchev, who has previously been at Erzgebirger Auer as head coach, he will take over from Mark Hensel as an interim coach. Hensel will stay on as an assistant uh, until they find a full-time replacement. Dorchev will also be the director of football. Uh, he comes from Duisburg. That is an interesting appointment. Now, before we go, we're going to, of course, talk about the kick tip and our recommendations, but... Tonight, the DFB Port Carl second round is underway, and there are some interesting fixtures featuring Svita Bundesliga teams. Unfortunately, how the draw goes sometimes, you get Svita Bundesliga teams playing against each other. Uh, Nuremberg and Hamburg is one of those. But we're going to discuss four games that feature teams from the Svita Bundesliga against teams either below or in the Bundesliga. Uh, and we're going to start with Schalke and 1860 München. That game is in Munich. An interesting proposition for Schalke. Of course, they have been in pretty good form. 1860 have had an interesting season. Last year, they were close to gaining uh, the promotion place, uh, the playoff place, but they were beaten out by Ingolstadt on the final match day. They've had a pretty weird season. Eight uh, of their first 12 games have ended in draws. They currently sit 16th. The form guide says that Schalke should win, but... The Pokal can do funny things, and I would give 1860 an opportunity in this one. Sasha Mulders 
uh, we know yeah, one for the dramatic and one for the uh, the real artistry of playing as a traditional number nine. Although, uh, you know, he doesn't. I guess um, he just has a mystique about him, and and he will make things very interesting. If Schalke go behind, things can get pretty interesting. Uh, it'll be interesting to see who they they uh, opt to go with. Um, personally, I think they would probably be best maybe having eyes on the league. The the Pokal is fine, but yeah. If I was Schalke, I'd probably look elsewhere. Um, we mentioned Kiel in this segment, Marcel Rapp. Uh, he will get a crack against his former employers. They take on TSG Hoffenheim tonight as well. Eva, this is quite an interesting one because he's just come from the, the U19 system as their coach. Comes to Kiel and three matches into his tenure, he will face against his former side. Yeah, um... I think it's actually a quite interesting game and not such an easy one to, to pick a winner because um, Hoffenheim hasn't really played its best season so far in the Bundesliga. Um, obviously, they just lost to Bayern Munich, but also before uh, the games haven't been really convincing. They won against Cologne, but like um, yeah, after winning that game, they were completely butchered by Bayern Munich and then um, yeah you have a key side who we just talked about who are slowly finding their way and uh, we know key season might be not the best one but in the Pokal um, it's it's the roads of the Pokal we all know that and it's actually it, it could be an interesting game just not maybe just because of football but just uh, results wise um I do think it's going to be a tight game and maybe even one we see in the penalties. And um, then we know Kiel is definitely equipped to do that. Yes, I tend to agree. Uh, Ingolstadt have a pretty difficult game. Sorry for that audio glitch. Um, Ingolstadt are at Dortmund. And for whatever reason, I have a theory that for some strange reason, Dortmund have a ton of home games in the cup, especially that second or third round against teams that they should be, and this is probably no exception. Yes, they don't have Erling Haaland, but they're Dortmund, so they should probably win this cup game. I, f- I feel it will go one of two ways. Uh, they will either win comfortably, or for whatever reason, it will end 2-2 and go to penalties, like it has with the, the, the Berlin sides for like the last three or four years. So one of those two seems the likely outcome. You would love to see Ingolstadt cause an upset, but I just don't know where it'll happen. Defensively, they are very vulnerable, and with that Dortmund attack, if they get it together, it will. Um, yeah, it could be an interest. It can be a pretty long night for Fabian Buntic and Co. And lastly, by Leverkusen, Karlsruhe. Leverkusen have had some interesting games recently. Eva, of course, they were smashed five-one by Bayern Munich. That's probably the last time you'll hear them on this podcast, hopefully. Um, Karlsruhe, of course, have been a bit up and down. Do you reckon they could cause an upset at the Bayer Arena, or do you expect Leverkusen to make it a pretty long evening, much like Ingolstadt? Well, uh, with Leverkusen, uh, they have two players uh, that are going to miss out on this game. It's Patrick Schick and Karim um, Belagabi which isn't that uninteresting, um, especially Patrick Schick has been um, in a very good form recently. 
Um, but yeah, in general, Leverkusen has a really good squad. Um, Plays like Florian Wirtz, but also just on the wings, uh, Diaby, Fring Pong, um, a lot of high quality players. And and I have to be honest, I although especially um, in that uh, derby game on the weekend, um, they didn't seem that stable all the time. But if I'm honest, I don't really see cards who are getting a foot on the ground in this game, especially after after the last game against. Düsseldorf, um, so this is a win for Leverkusen for me. Yeah, it will be fascinating with the DFB Pokal going live tonight. Before we go, of course, we keep up to date with our kick tip league and still Etsy Paderborn English remains on top, although they had, uh, for the first time this season, a tricky week uh, managing less than double figures, I think, for maybe the first or second time this year. Strube Hoved was the top scorer with 20. I'm pretty sure this is the second time this individual has featured in our top scoring round. So very interesting. We also have a recommendation. Eva, who are our who is our recommendation for this week? Well, the Hype Fear Fanzine magazine is is really, really good. Um, they have a huge variety of articles of people who write for them, of writers in general, um, of interesting topics. Um so go check them out. Yeah, they just tackle a lot of interesting um, topics also besides the pitch. Um, and they're really nice people. So go check them out. Absolutely. I love the covers of each magazine. It's a retro football kit, which is, I mean, what's not to like about the design? But yeah, great articles, great magazine. Go check them out. They're on Twitter as well. Um, so give them a follow. And um, yeah, that's your lot for this week. Thank you for joining us. Once again, we'll be back next week to discuss all the action from Match Day 12. Until then, enjoy your weekend, stay safe, and we'll see you next time.